I'm glad to see so many of you, and I'm also glad to uh, welcome those that are going to be listening to us online. Um, we have just a few weeks to cover this subject. We're going to be thinking together uh, for the next six weeks about what faith is all about, what the life of faith is all about. Um, let me just, uh, in way of introduction, it's on the notes there, but uh, let, me, let me say this is a subject which is particularly important to my own heart. This takes me all the way back to the very beginning of what I would say when, when God was first stirring my heart to sneak after Him. And I started to be aware of the need that I had, and uh, again, I've told this story many times, but I had heard enough about the fact you're justified by faith, you have to live by faith, and all down the line with regards to faith. My only problem was I couldn't define faith. I couldn't practically define. Now, in a sense, I had a general idea what faith was. But, you know, there was a verse that we're going to be real close to tonight in the book of uh, Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount when the Lord's bringing it to an end where he says this, that many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And I will say, depart from them. That scared the daylights out of me. It was the idea that you could get to the place where you thought you had your ducks all in a row and you were going to you were going to enter into eternity and you're ready. And then you pass by here and then you find out you were wrong. Whoa. So when I'm saying I didn't understand what faith was, I didn't have an understanding of faith which was confident enough for me to look at death and say, I'm ready for the other step. It'll be okay. I had a hope so kind of a belief concerning faith. And yet it becomes such an important part of the Christian life. So um, I wonder how many people are like me in that. People who know a lot about the Word of God. You can study a lot and say a lot of verses and say this is this is the value of faith. You can say this is what it means to trust God in a sense. But what does it really mean to have faith in Him? So that's, that's what I want to take time to, to go over. Um, it's a little bit difficult to go over because faith is experience. It is an experience. And any time you're having something which is an experience... There is the potential of confusing the outworking of faith with faith itself. And that, that becomes one of the problems when we tend to use illustrations of faith. Okay, here, here's faith in action. Well, that might be faith in action, but that doesn't define the faith. That shows you what one person did with that. One of my favorite stories about that, just to, to point that out, is the stories of, of Ezra and Nehemiah. Both of them lived in Persia. Both of them went to Jerusalem. Both of them went to Jerusalem with the king's blessing. Both of them were offered, this is at different times, just a few years apart, both of them were offered a guard to make sure that they made it there safely. Ezra stood before the king and says, we are the Lord's. And we want to show you and demonstrate that God is with us. No, we don't need your guard. Nehemiah offered the same guard, says, yeah, I'll take him, I'm going back. Both of them lived by faith. Those were outworkings of their faith, Ezra trusting him for this. Nehemiah's mind was on rebuilding that city. And he's going to show his faith in the way that he handles that. But they took two different approaches to the same circumstance. So often we, we tell stories about faith, but it, it's not following the story that's important, it's having the same hard attitude. So we want to take some time to look at what is the essence of faith and what does it say? How does it work out in our lives? We're going to go at this real slow, slowly. So uh, 
Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer, and we'll look at that together. Father, we come before you, and we're asking you again tonight to speak by your Spirit from your Word. We thank you your Word is truth. And we're coming to believe you that as we consider that truth together, you will work in our hearts by your Spirit, every one of us, so that we might have that confidence in you which leads to bold living for the glory of God. So we come and trust you for it, and we would look to you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> as we start tonight, I want to take you back to the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Right? Found in the, the chapter, and I'm not going to read those chapters. <laughs> it's, five, it's three chapters long. And uh, that's not the point tonight. What I want to think about is what is happening in this, this time we call the Sermon on the Mount. A group of people have come out of their towns, towns in those days, everybody lived in the city. You just, you went home to the city. You don't live in the country because it's dangerous. So you live in the city. You, you pack together. Outside of the city walls are fields, generally speaking, that's most of the time. There were fields. People would leave the city, go out, work their fields at night, you go back in the city. All right? Just not safe to be out there. Beyond the fields is the wilderness. Uh, virtually nobody goes in the wilderness because the wilderness is where bad things happen. If the animals don't get you, the people will, and so you don't go out there. The story of the Sermon on the Mount takes you out to a wilderness place. People have come out of their cities. It's a mountain, it says there. The hills are kind of steep. It's just a steep hill. And somewhere on one of those steep hills, the Lord had found a place which He could sit down and speak to a large group of people. We don't know how many thousands were there, but the group seems to be in the thousands. They've come out. They've come out to to hear him. Now, as we think about that sermon, we need to note something about the people who were there. Everybody virtually who was there would have believed in God. Right? They're Jews. They're Hebrew people. Now, I'm not saying that every Jewish person in that day believed in God. Right? I don't believe that was so. But the people who didn't care about God, didn't have any desire to know God, didn't leave their little villages and take the time out to go out to the wilderness to listen to some un, uh, unaccredited teacher of the Word of God. The people I could, I think we could say pretty much for the most part, they are all people who believe in God. Second thing I want to note about them is, this is Hebrew culture of the day, everybody, whether you believed it or didn't believe it, went to synagogue every Sabbath. You went to synagogue and for hours you sat and let the word of God was read to you. This was the covenant, this was the truth, which was the foundation of your entire way of living. So you went and you listened to it hour after hour, and then it was interpreted to you. They had preachers, but actually the word was more important to them than the preaching. But the, anyway, they would teach them, and the rabbis would tell them what that meant. Those people believed that this was the revelation of God to them. They believed that. So they believe in God. They believe in the revelation of God. So if they believed that this was the revelation of God, why are they out there? They're out there because they're not sure exactly what it says. Because somehow the teaching hasn't met the need of their heart. There's something in them that drives them to, well, I've got to hear more because I don't understand. Now that part it doesn't say, but that's why people go to listen. Because they, they need deeper understanding in it. So that, that's what they were out there for. 
Now, they were misinformed as to what the Word of God said. The rabbis weren't telling them accurately what it was saying. I'm not here to pick on the rabbis. This is just the way the Lord puts it. Because if you go through the Sermon on the Mount, the first part of it, again, we go to different sections, I'm not going to expound the Sermon on the Mount, so I want to try to stay out of that. But he starts off with this kind of a, a comparison. He says, you've heard it said of old, but I'm going to say to you. Now, when he says, you heard it said of old, he's not talking about Muslims or Buddhists or somebody out there. He's talking about rabbis. This is what the rabbis have taught that this, that this book says. And then you know how the formula goes. But I'm saying to you, they missed it. They missed it. This is what it says. All right? They say that you should love your enemies and, or love your friends and hate your enemies. I'm telling you, love your enemies. That becomes a shock. But the point was that the teaching in the, in the, in the um, synagogues had drifted off of what it actually said, and it, over the years it accumulated to where nobody even took time to think about whether this was accurate. Now, that's where those people are, and Jesus comes and speaks to them. Again, I want you to say they are not there questioning whether there's a God. They are not questioning whether the word of God is truth. The question is, what does it actually say? Now, when he finishes that message, he's going to go through some some of those scary passages. I, I found them scary when I was a kid, I'll tell you that. Strive to enter by the narrow gate. Because there's what? There's an easy gate that leads to destruction. There's a narrow gate that leads to eternal life. I don't know if that ever scared you, but it scared me. Because, boy, narrow, narrow's narrow, you know. <laughs> Got to make sure we hit that. And I wasn't sure I even wanted to hit that. But I wanted to be on the other side of that, right? I wanted to be, I like the eternal life part of it. I wasn't, how can I get in there? Then, as we said, he also goes to another one. He said that a good tree, and this is important for what we're going to be talking about tonight, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Hmm, that was a little scary to me, but I won't go into that right now. And then he said that, that many are going to say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Didn't we cast out demons? Now, as a kid, I'm thinking about that, and I'm going like, I've never done any preaching. I've never even talked to anybody about the Lord. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't know what to tell them, because I don't know it. I don't do any ministry. And how could it be that this group of people could do all that for God? And at the end, he says, I never knew you. That's very scary. Well, what are you going to do about it then? How are you going to enter by the narrow way? Well, the Lord's pretty clear about what you should do. He's talking to this group of people. And that's why we want to look at that verse. It's in chapter 7, verse 24. Chapter 7, verse 24. And this is where he he finishes it up. Therefore, and this is one that you don't learn in the... You know, in Bible school, in vacation Bible school. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And then later on, he's going to say that in verse 26, he says, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, he'll be like the foolish man. One builds his house on a rock, one builds his house on the sand. All right? And we all know that story. But what Jesus is saying to him is, now you've heard the truth. Now everybody's going to go and do something about it. See, every day, this is what the picture is that, that the Lord gives us here, is that every day of our lives, we are building. 
Every single day. We are constructing our lives. You made choices today. Everybody has to make choices every day about what you're going to do with your time, your money. Your From the time you got up, you were making choices, right? And each one of us in making those choices was reinforcing, either creating or reinforcing a path that we were living on, right? You were doing something that it is either leading you towards this or leading you towards that. We all did it, right? That's just the way life goes. Now, the Lord says, now you've heard me speak. You've heard what I said. Then these things that when he's saying, you've heard it said of old. He is just describing Judaism as they would have understood it. And he's saying this is different. Now, what are they going to do about it? Now, here's the word we want to get first. Let's get started. It says, everybody who hears these words and does what? They act on them. They have to act on them. Right? This is real important in our own day. Because what he's saying here is that what you do with what I said proves what you believe. Right? You're either going to walk away from this and live just like you lived before, or you're going to build your life on it. We're all building our lives. What are we building our lives on? So that's where he starts, and I want you to get that because here's the first key. The Lord doesn't leave it. There's no way you can be neutral after you've heard the word of God. You realize that? that it's just, once I hear what God says, and the Spirit of God says something to me about that, I can never be neutral. I will do something about what I heard. I will either embrace it, or I will walk away from it. Now, the passage actually says nothing about faith. The word faith is not used there. All right? I want to be clear, because trying to define faith, and the passage didn't say anything about faith, and where, what are we doing here? Well, we're doing this because in order to fully grasp the whole idea of faith, we have to look at this basic truth. You have to do something about truth. You have to do something about it. Now, the doing is not the faith, but the doing comes from the faith. Now, before we go any further, let's go on. Um, I want to go to the story of Eve. Temptation of Eve. Now, let's back up and think just for a moment about the importance of this story. Um, Theologically, we need to be clear on this, that, excuse me, that Adam's sin was what got us in trouble. Paul's crystal clear on that. But it is interesting that when the Spirit of God had the Word of God constructed, he doesn't go back to what happened to Adam. He goes back to what happened to Eve because the experience that Eve had shows us an enormous amount about the nature of the conflict that we are in on this earth. And again, I want to point out some things concerning her experience. Now, here's what's happened this is where we go. We don't know the timing. There are no time markers in the in the chapter. But God creates Adam. This is chapter 2 of the book of Genesis. He creates Adam. And he tells Adam, here it is. This is your world. But you have one restriction. Eve is not there yet. You have one restriction. There's one tree in this whole garden from which you cannot eat, right? 
The whole restriction is it has fruit on it. You cannot eat the fruit from that one tree. The rest of it's all yours. There is debate about the size of the garden. It's interesting how many decisions we make about what the Word of God says based on where we live now. The actual garden size, if we take the rivers that it describes there, would be hundreds of square miles. Have you ever had a garden? Hundreds of square miles of garden to take care of? I mean, that's just, let's give up now. I mean, an acre. Who wants to take care of an acre by hand? All right? Now, I don't know. Again, so it's been argued that, because I said that one time, people say, well, it couldn't have been that big because nobody could take care of that. Well, that's true, but he didn't have thorns and thistles, and he didn't have anything fighting with him, so maybe it was a lot easier then. I don't know. Maybe it was small, but it was a, it was a very nice place. It wasn't cramped quarters. And in that place, God had created all kinds of interesting forms of fruit, and it, he had... You want a meal? Pluck. It's all right there for him. Okay, now, back to our our story. Adam doesn't know there's a problem with this situation. It's all good. I mean, he's getting up. He's great, great. But God said what? And God said, it's not good for Adam to be all by himself like this. This is good. So I'm going to make a corresponding individual for him. That's what the word means. It means a corresponding individual for him. Right? So that everything will be good. And so he makes Eve. Right? Now, in the story, it's very important to know what happens. God makes Eve, and then God brought Eve to Adam. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because Eve had met God. I mean, she. the picture is, here, Eve, let's go. Here's Adam. All right? Meet Adam. You know, he's the in-between. Now, I don't know, because I wasn't in the garden, I do not know how God revealed himself to Adam and Eve. I don't know. I have no idea. I can't describe that because it's not described. But one way or another, they knew he was there. They could hear his voice. They could they could sense his presence. She could be led by him to Adam. So we need to make note of that. That's where the situation is when we get to chapter 3. We don't know how long a time it is between when Eve is created and when, or fashioned and when this temptation takes place. It could take place the same day. It could take place. We just don't know. There's no time reference. There had to be something in between the story because there's several things. We'll, we'll just talk about those in a minute. Now let's, get, let's get clear about Eve's situation. Eve knows that there is a God. Right? That's important. Because so often we think about faith as, oh, I wonder if there's a God out there. And that's important for our perspective because we're going to talk about that next week. The situation we're in is completely different than Eve's situation. And and we have to keep that in mind as we go through this story. Completely different. But for Eve, that wasn't a question. What she's going to be tested with has nothing to do with who God is. The second thing we should note is that Eve does not have any external pressure on her. I don't know if you've ever tried to think about what that would be like. This is like being a kid forever. All right? You remember when you were a little kid? And you didn't have to... You got up in the morning and it was just summer, the summertime. 
as a kid, you know, school time, that was different. But, you know, in the summertime, you get up, and all you had to do was play. Now, mate, you had other jobs to do. I know maybe you didn't have as free a life as I did. But it was, what is, what's the adventure of the day? I didn't think about the food. I didn't think about the rent. I didn't think about health insurance. I didn't think about diseases. I didn't think about countries fighting each other across the seas. I didn't figure out what was happening. I didn't care about the crime rate down in downtown Pittsburgh because I lived in the, I lived in the country. And I can go everywhere I want. I went wherever I wanted. No, I was never afraid of people coming to get me. I thought about that for Eve. She gets up. There's no world out there to fight with. There's no job she has to go to. There's no politics to worry about. There's no COVID to worry about. There's no health insurance to worry about. There's no mortgage. There's no car that breaks down. There's no anything. Hey, how about this one? She actually was married to a man who had no flaws. None. No flaws whatsoever. So it's important to know she knew there was a God, and she also knew that that God was good to a great degree. Now, she's going to be tested on that, but she had no point where the devil could come to her, where the snake could come to her and say, there's a problem with your life that, that had any pain to it. There was no pain in her experience. There's no death out there. Well, is it while we're talking here, while we go through this, every minute that we pass through in this, 200 more people die on the face of the earth. That's the speed at which they're, they're departing. 200 a minute. Every second, approximately three people pass into eternity. We live in a world of death. She didn't, when she's in the day that you eat it, you'll die. I don't even know how she comprehended that since death wasn't around her in the same way that we were involved in that. So that's where she is. The third thing I want you to note is she was perfectly clear about what God had required of her. Now, she was not there when God said, you shall not eat of this. Adam would have had to tell her that. And he must have done it. And the reason I'm going to say that is because, number one, in the conversation, she seems to have it pretty well down. She makes some mistakes with it, but she had it pretty well down. But the other thing is this. When God came to deal with the situation after the fall, he doesn't say anything to Adam. Adam, why didn't you tell her what the consequences were? He doesn't say that, indicating that, and I think he would have if that was a problem, but he didn't say that. So she must have known. She must have known. So what, as she is sitting in this situation, how can the devil, how can this snake appeal appeal to her? What's he going to say? What's going to happen to her? All right? Well, he doesn't argue about the existence of God. He can't. But the next thing I want to look at is number two under that B. It says this, he appeals to her God-given desire to reach the highest good. Uh, some could argue with that. But you see, he can't appeal to her selfishness because she isn't selfish. Not yet. That makes sense? I mean, we have a tendency to read this story in terms of who we are. I was selfish from the time I grew up. I mean, when I got up in the morning and wanted to say, when I was a little kid, 
I didn't think about what my sisters were going to do all day. I thought about what I was going to do all day. And I just hoped that they didn't come along. All right? Leave me alone. Because I was basically selfish. It's, it was there. Eve isn't selfish, neither is Adam. See, we, we think about the essence of sin, and we reduce it basically into two directions. It's either pride or selfishness. She's not proud, and she's not selfish. She doesn't have, I mean, she's perfect. I mean, not perfect. She just doesn't have that sin. She doesn't have that, that pressure there. How can the devil appeal to her? All right? Well, he's going to appeal to her God nature, her, her God-like nature. She is, she is created in the image of God. And it is her desire to have the best that is what he's going to appeal to. Not just her best for her, but the best overall. Now, when you think about that, think about what it means that God is wise. He's good, that means he does good things. But wise means what? Well, it tells us that there's two things that go together to, to describe wisdom. Wisdom, first of all, knows what the highest good is. It knows what it is to be doing the right thing, which is the most beneficial thing. That's it. it knows where that place is. And the second thing about wisdom is it knows how to get there. So a wise person is one who knows what he should be after and then takes the steps to get there. Well, God's the all-wise God. And he has a desire that every person in this room experience the highest possible goodness. That's the nature that he has, which is, is portrayed throughout the Word of God, that he is always after the best for all that he's created. When he created Adam and Eve, he created them in his image. And as he creates them in his image, they must have had something of that same drive in themselves to reach the highest goals. Now, again, I want to note that today we're in a place where we have a thing called flesh that kind of messes up our, our view of those goals, all right? But we still are after the same thing. You want the best thing for your life. I want the best thing for my life. I've wanted that my entire life. You've wanted it your entire life, all right? We all want the fairy tale ending, right? And they all lived, they kept on living happily ever after nobody wants the thing to be and they all lived miserably from then on nobody's aiming for that they're aiming for an experience of blessing now that's not just selfishness for eve it was it can't be selfishness she's not fallen yet it's just part of that god-given desire and the devil's going to come to her through that serpent, and speak to her about what the possibilities are. And so he's going to challenge. He's not going to challenge the existence of God. He's going to challenge the honesty of God. We put it in our own day, we'd say this, My dear Eve, God must have misspoken on that point. He said that when you ate of this, you would die. You won't die. You won't die. And then he's going to make this appeal. All right, and you know the appeal. He says, in the day that you eat this thing, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to become like him, knowing good and evil. You'll become like God. It will be better for you. Right? That's what's going to happen for her. She's going to be put in a place. Now, now she has two sets of information. She has the information that God spoke to her. 
All right. Now she has the information that this serpent says. He says that the highest experience of life is found by eating this fruit. Now it says the higher, highest experience of life will be found as you stick with me as you keep the relationship right. And I want to see the, I want you to see those two things in, in crystal clarity because this is part of what it means to understand the whole path of faith. God is offering the best possible experience for me and for you. He's offering it. But you know what that experience is? We all know that. We can say it together, right? This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, or know him, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. To know God is to live, right? Now, the devil's going to present a second one. He's going to also offer life, and he does. And here's what he's going to say. To know the fullness of life, you have to take full advantage of what's on this earth. You will find enrichment, fulfillment, satisfaction, peace, accusation. I can never say that word correctly. But anyway, actualization, whatever the word is that you have for that full-orbed experience that we're all supposedly aiming for, you find that by taking the best, making the best use of the resources that this earth has to give. Now, that makes sense. There's two, that's two different, completely different views of what it takes to enrich a life. One is knowing God. One is finding it here. Now, for Eve, because of the trap that the devil's setting for, there's only one thing to she can have everything except for one fruit, right? One fruit. And in that one fruit, the only thing she can't do with the fruit is eat it. It's all so very simple. God is so good to her. She could juggle it. She could decorate her, her kitchen with it. She could sit under the tree. She could sit in the tree if she wanted to. She could shake the tree. She can do anything she wants except... Eat the fruit. The devil comes and says, full experience of life, the fullest, richest experience you can have can only be had if you take advantage of this thing. This thing is on the earth. You have to catch that to get the fight that we're in. She had no pressure towards that. It's all a question of what she's going to do. Now, what... What happens to her then? Where is she when that gets finished? Right? Well, here's where she is. We step back from the tree. And I don't know whether the snake stayed or didn't stay. I don't know. I kind of picture him leaving. But that's up, you know, we don't know. And now she's got two sets of truth in front of her. Two sets of information. We won't call them both truth, but two sets of information. Here is a theory. That life is to be found by staying in a right relationship with God. Here is a theory. That life will be found when I take hold of all the richness of this earth. Which in that case is that tree. Now when she is standing there, she has to make a choice. She can't remain neutral on this because she's going to do something. She can't sit by the tree forever. She is either going to listen to God, hear what he had to say, 
and walk away from that truth and say, maintaining my relationship with God is the best thing for me. Or she is going to conclude that my experience depends on me taking hold of this fruit and eating it. She's got to do something. See, truth demands an answer. Just like those people in the Sermon on the Mount, they had to... They had to do something. If you hear these words, now you've got to do something about it. You're either going to build on this or you're going to let it let it slide. And your future depends on which of those two you do. And, of course, for Eve, her future, and not so much just through Eve, but ultimately through Adam with Eve, um, our future depends on our choice. And she made a choice. She made a choice. We know that. What'd she do? Well, we know the story. She looked at the fruit. It's interesting the way it's put in the Word of God. And it said that it it was beautiful fruit. And it was. Because everything God made was beautiful, right? It was all good. And it was good for food. It was. It was. um, There's some question about whether the tree actually had anything in it or whether it was just a test tree whether there was anything different about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or whether the whole difference was that it was the one that was designated to be the tree of good and evil. But everything God had made was good, but then it said it was, it was desirable to make one wise. There she was wrong. It wasn't desirable for that. But she bought that, and she ate the fruit. Now, here's the point I want to make here. That we're, we're thinking about faith. At that point... She exercised faith. She had two options in front of her. She is going to put her faith in something. She is either going to believe that God is true and act on it, or she is going to believe that this new bit of information over here is true and act on it. She acted on this. You see, the truth had to, she had to act on it, and that's what she built. And when she did build by putting her weight on this, what happened? Her whole world came collapsing down around her. She changed. The world changed. The circumstances changed. Adam changed. Her perfect husband was not going to be that anymore. Everything changed for her. But the point is that she exercised faith. Now, what does that have to do with us? This whole challenge of faith is really not so much a question of whether there's a God, although we have a, we have a bigger problem with that than she had. Why? Because she died, Adam died. We no longer have that direct contact. But every day, the eternal God who is out there is screaming at us that he's there. It's cloudy tonight, so you can't can't see it. But every every night, stars are out there screaming at us that what? There is a God. They're declaring the glory of God. If you study creation, you study if you study what actually is happening on this earth, the living beings that are on this earth, you start to look at that, and you cannot come to other, any other conclusion than this is too miraculous than to be anything other than a created realm. All of it screaming at you. The fact is that because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, 
God has declared to you that He is who He is. It's almost a year ago when we stopped the meetings last year. We were right in the middle of the, that last section of Isaiah. And as we get to that, that section and we're going over those, we, we noted this one thing, if you happen to have been here, that all the way from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, particularly up until, we'll think right now, until the gospel time, all the way through the Old Testament, God was saying, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. And every time he said that and then brought it to pass in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is shouting to us, I'm here. I have a plan and I'm working it out. I'm not like the created gods of other peoples. I am the real God, the true and living God. See, I really don't think that the great issue in faith is whether or not there's a God. We'll talk about that more next week. Here's what the great issue is. Where is life found? That's the big issue. The question, the overpowering question, the Word of God is, is knowing God life or is life an experience to be had out of the things which are on this earth? Is the creation the path to life or is the Creator the path to life? That's the question. See, those people in, in the Lord's day, uh, when they heard the Sermon on the Mount, why wouldn't they build their life on what he said? I mean, now he's told them what's true. Why wouldn't they do it? The reason that they wouldn't do it is because if you do what he says to do, it will cost you your life in the everyday, right? Let's think of it for one. Okay, let's just take a simple one. He talked, this is late in the book. He said, no man, he says, this is not possible for a person to serve two masters. It can't be done. It just cannot be done. Right? And we know, you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve things. My mammon just talks about things, money and all that money can buy. You're either going to be controlled by the kingdom of God or you're going to be controlled by money. Now, money is one of the most deceptive things that's found on the face of this earth. It's the deception of riches that causes so many people to get in trouble. It's the belief that what? If I had enough of it, I would experience life, right? It's bought all over the earth, right? And the Lord speaks there and he's talking. And these people were poor, but they still had that belief. I mean, that's pretty common in the human race. Wealth equals pleasant life, right? The more I have, the more chance that I have at life, right? Jesus says, no. Seek the kingdom of God. Make that the priority of your life, the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. This will take care of itself. He doesn't say you're going to be rich. He says you'll have what you need. Why wouldn't a person listen to that? Why wouldn't they build on that? They wouldn't build if they actually believe that he's wrong, that money is the source of life. You see, every person who was out there had a conviction about where you find life. Does that make sense? Everybody. Everybody in this room has a conviction about where you find life. 
And that conviction that you have, you may tell me that you believe in God, and, okay, that might be true that you believe in God. But the question comes is, where do you think life is? Does that make sense? Where do I think life is? Because you're going to construct your life in order to find life. It's what you will do. So if you have the you have the statement, you believe this is where life is, and this this knowing Jesus is life. If that's true, then you are attempting to get to know Jesus Christ. You are going to construct. You will order your life morning to evening around this plan. Now again, you'll still. Again, he gave us all things richly to enjoy, but that's the center of your life. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because there's a real danger in our day of believing that I can really love God over here and then live over here. And that's what these passages are telling. It isn't so. You see, you don't have to hate God in order to be on the wrong side with him. When Eve was facing that tree, do you think... I mean. <laughs> Do you think she was angry with God? And that's the reason I'm going to take a fruit because you... There's no indication that she was mad about anything. I mean, why would she be mad about anything? Everything was good. She wasn't shaking her fist and saying, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Why would she do that? That's not in her nature to do. All the, what's happening there is she's come to a conclusion that this fruit leads to life and i got to go there. I don't think she had a bad attitude towards God. I think she had a strong belief that this was actually going to work. And so she committed herself to it. Why don't people in that day, why didn't they... Uh, why didn't they do what the Lord said? Why don't they build their life there? Because they honestly don't believe he's telling the truth about where life is. This is really important to the whole concept of faith. Because what you believe is going to issue in conduct. One way or the other. Remember at the beginning we said that a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. That's why John says, don't love the things of the world. (laughs) Don't love the world or the things of the world. Don't do it. Don't fall for that. Why would you love them? Well, because you believe life is in them. Don't love the things of this world. right? Because then he says this, if any man loves the world, if that's in his heart, the love of the Father can't be there. (laughs) I mean, it just can't be there. If that is where you are, sooner or later, that will end in fruitfulness. If I set myself to love God, if we set ourselves to love God, sooner that's a good tree, which it understands that life is in him, then sooner or later that has to bear good fruit, right? It has to come. I like the way he puts it, because the fruit can come at a point later on. It may be a while between when I start this path and when you start to see that, oh, yeah, yeah, he makes choices, See, if I have the good, good, um, if I have that good root within, then, uh, well, again, you've heard it said of old, remember we quoted that one before, you've heard it said of old, you shall love your friends and hate your enemies. I'm telling you, love those. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Who's going to do that? The person 
who con- concludes that loving God is where life is. And what people are doing to me, it just doesn't affect that, right? It's important that you get the idea there. Who's going to forgive? Who's going to really forgive? The person who believes that my life is in God. Somebody can take away, they can do the mean thing, but they can't disturb my life, right? If, if, if you come to that place in faith. Now, this is real important to that, that question. It's, it's an issue of faith. What do you really believe? So in one sense, everybody here is a believer in something. And the word starts with that. We have to think of that with regards to faith. You have to go first of all to where is your confidence? And the first question to ask is what do you believe will bring you to the best, highest, most wonderful experience? You need to think a long time on that. If you're having trouble figuring that out, ask yourself, what did you do today? Where did you pour your time? Where did you pour your energies? What did you do with your life? Because those, if you have, if you know these things, it says if you if you hear this word, this is the Lord's word. If you hear this word and you build on it, you're going to be on a rock. And when the storms come, the rock will hold. The rock will hold. Now, in a sense, I I, I thought about this death. I thought, oh, this is a negative way to start, <laughs> you know. But it's kind of like the gospel. Got to start with a negative. Because we could talk all day about faith, and if we don't face the fact that what our heart loves has a whole lot to do with where our faith is, you're gonna, we can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about all these things, and we never change. And we can end up locked in sin because we really don't want God. Life faith begins with this. Now, the good news of this, that if you find yourself in trouble there, the whole gospel is oriented towards getting that bad news dealt with. That's why we have to look at the life of faith, because the life of faith, as we begin to hear from God, he not only is going to tell us where the path of life, he's going to tell us how to get out of the soup. We have, we've fallen in the mud. Adam and Eve fell in the mud, and that got them in real trouble. So he says, now, what's the way back out of that? God knows. God knows the way back out. And he wants to present that to us, but what we do when we hear that is going to determine whether or not we actually get out of the mud or whether we just know the path out of the mud. And so it's it's a good path. It's a tremendous thing. The life of faith is a wonderful thing. But we have to see the issues at the beginning. And the issues are, where is life? Is it found in knowing God Or is it found in experiencing this earth? Whether it is the acceptable parts of the earth or the unacceptable parts of the earth. Where is it? Men of faith have figured out something. Knowing God's it. And they may not ever experience anything else on this life. There's, we're going to be a lot in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. There's First in there, talking about the, about certain men who went about in sheepskins and goatskins. That's because they had been kicked out of society. They had been forced out. And they no longer could, they didn't fit. And everybody despised them. And then, it, you know, the end of that line, men of whom this world was not worthy. They weren't, it wasn't worthy to have those guys that they despised so much even walking around on it. Because they had, they had chosen the right thing.
they'd go in the right direction. All right, well, let's pray. Well, we're coming before you. We're asking you to make our, our vision clear, that we will understand clearly who we are, where we are, and then listen to your word. Well, we're coming to ask you for that delivering work of the Spirit of God as we think through these important matters concerning what you've done and how we can trust you. Well, they set us free. Free from this world, free from ourselves, free from the lies of the devil. And enable us to embrace the truth of your word and to find life in you. And we come and trust you for it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.